Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together. Let's together start with our scripture. Um, It is in John chapter 8, verses 28 to 32. And it says, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as my father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That is our memory verse that we are doing this month. So as we dig into Judges chapter 19 and 20, so let's meet the characters in our chapters today. Uh, There's a Levite who is supposed to represent God, but very similarly to what Pastor Barry taught through yesterday, you will see he is not doing or reflecting the heart of God. There's a concubine, which would have been a servant or less than a wife, whose role was, of course, to sleep with, in this case, the Levite, and to bear children. Um, Giba, or Gibeth, I should say, is a city of Benjamites. Uh, Dan to Beersheba is when it talks about Dan to Beersheba, it's talking from north to south. And so the whole of the nation. This is what's very, very important as we read these chapters. However, these chapters are descriptive, not prescriptive. You're going to say it again. These chapters are descriptive, not prescriptive for how we should live. There there are many chapters in the Bible that are describing what happens when our hearts wander from God. They are describing that condition. Not everything in the Bible, of course, we are meant to emulate. It's not prescriptive for how we're to live. Samson's life is not a prescription of a godly life. All right? Even when it says David is a man after own heart, God's own heart, there are certain things in David's life that are prescriptive, and then there are others that are simply descriptive. A failure to understand that often can lead to a misunderstanding of scripture. And so we are going to watch how the singular actions of one Levite leads to multiplied pain, a spiraling down effect which affects many. But there is a warning just before we read this story in Genesis 19 to 20 that um, it It's horrific in that it contains a brutal sexual assault. And so if that is anybody, whether you're on the call live or your replay, you're listening on a podcast, that's part of anybody's story. I just want to pray peace on a settled heart that though there is no king in the land, as we're going to read, the king of kings sees all things and he is, he is good and he is holy. 
And this is grievous not only towards this concubine, but against our Heavenly Father. So there's just a warning. And especially if you're listening to this as a parent, there's little ears around. You just may want to be cautious here. Uh, so the question I think we should ask is, why do these chapters in Judges of the horror of Judges in 1920, why do they even need to be included in the Bible? Well, these two short stories reach a low, low point for humanity. So if we read Judges 19 and 20, yet fail to really, really read the first verse, then we miss the heart because the first verse in Judges 19 is why this story is in the Bible. It says very much like the pattern of Judges 19 verse 1, in those days when there was no king in Israel. Kings had two responsibilities, primarily. One is they knew the Torah, and it was their role to ensure that the people knew it well. Second, it was their responsibility, their authority, to take action to see the vulnerable are protected, the weak were supported, the afflicted are delivered from their oppressors, and the oppressors themselves are dealt with justly. These were their two kingly roles. So because there is no king in Israel, there is no one to fulfill what we just read. But let's never forget, while there is no king, there is always the king of kings. For many, their view of God's judgment is evident in stories such as the flood or Sodom or in the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. And these are glimpses and pictures of God's judgment. Yet, if you actually notice, they are quite rare pictures of God's judgment. A more sobering way in which God judges humanity is profoundly seen when he gives humanity over to the desires of our own hearts, and we pursue them without restraint. This is how the book of Romans depicting life in Roman culture, describes how God can move in a culture, which once again is profoundly sobering. Romans chapter 1, verse 28, just in case you think what we're going to read is an Old Testament issue, it isn't. It is a human issue. Romans 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 28 says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought to be done. Other scriptures say they didn't know um, right from wrong. They just do what is in their own heart and eyes. And so a way to look, um, the way the book of Judges would articulate this idea in Romans, you've just said it, there is no king in Israel. Sometimes God permits what he hates. For our hearts to return to what he loves most. Sometimes in God's sovereignty, he permits what he hates, never condones, never blesses, never loves, but he permits what he hates for our hearts to return to whom and what he loves most. So two questions, and then we're going to really dive in. Where in our lives do we behave as though there is no king? easy to judge others like in judges it's easy to judge our canadian culture it's important to have eyes that look at our culture i'm not critiquing that 
but it's equally important to be able to say, Lord, where am I acting in my life? as though you are not King. You are not Lord. You are not the leader of my life. And then of course, where in Canada are we living without restraint as though there is no King in judges, there is no King. But as I will say again and again, nothing happens that is outside the gaze of the King of Kings, who is grace and truth, loving and holy, forgiving and just. He is our perfect King. So this is a heavy, sobering story, but let's read it together with these three anchor points. First is heartache. Heartache is a profound reality in humanity when there is no king, when there is no authority or guardrail to hold humanity from itself, from doing all that is in the heart of humanity to do. We are watching this unfold in many conflicts around the world, one of which, of course, is Ukraine and Russia, but in every continent of the world, in many countries of the world, not exclusively that country or continent, uh, we are seeing similar conflicts, people fighting people, tribe against tribe, and this breaks the heart of our Heavenly Father. Nothing is outside of our Heavenly Father's gaze, including the fate of this concubine, concubine who may I remind you, is not merely a concubine. She is an image bearer of God, not worthy about, about what is going to befall her. And there's a Levite who should have known better than to have a concubine in the first place. Genesis shows God's heart for marriage. In Matthew's gospel, when Jesus is asked about marriage, he reaffirms the Genesis account that a man should leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh yet this levite has a concubine this is not god's original intent the levite should know this jesus later affirms this yet like in judges 17 and 18 this levite is away from god and so judges chapter 19 verse 1 and 2 reads this in those days when there was no king in israel a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to him a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And his concubine was unfaithful to him. And she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah uh, and was there for some four months. So there is no confusion. Her unfaithfulness is her going to her father's house in Bethlehem at Judah for four months. There was nothing sexually untoward. That is her unfaithfulness. And so some scholars read into this story that the Old Testament has stories of women who would not work within the bounds of what culture was doing or a patriarchal culture. Women such as um, Zelophed had daughters, Akta, Deborah, Jael, and maybe some theologians say maybe the Levite's wife's um, unwillingness, or excuse me, willingness to walk out the door at the story's beginning, which once again is what her unfaithfulness is referring to, indicates that she was this type of woman, not willing to be a secondary wife. And so she returns to her parents' home. It is just a thought, right? We're whispering it, not shouting it. Judges 19, verses 3 to 30, let's read what happens when there's no king. 
You're going to read some cultural things between a family as well, but they're not overly deep. They're just what a culture would do. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. How many of you know you can be really nice, but still lost? <laughs> so to speak kindly to her and bring her back, he had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys. And she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. And his father-in-law, the girl's father, made him stay, and he remained with him three days. So they ate and they drank, and they spent the night there. And on the fourth day, they arose early in the morning, and he prepared to go. But the girl's father said to his son-in-law, strengthen your heart with a morsel of bread, and after that you may go. So the two of them sat and ate and drank together. And the girl's father said to the man, I'll be pleased to spend the night, and then let your heart be merry. And when the man rose up to go, his father-in-law pressed him till he spent the night there again. And on the fifth day, he rose early in the morning to depart. And the girl's father said, strengthen your heart and wait until the day declines. So they ate both of them. And when the man and his concubine and his servant rose up to depart, his father-in-law, the girl's father said to him, behold, now the day has waned towards evening. Please spend the night. Behold, the day, uh, behold this day draws to its close. Lodge here. And let your heart be merry, and tomorrow you shall uh, arise early in the morning for your journey and go home. But now the man would not spend the night. He rose up and departed and arrived opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. And he had with him a couple of saddled donkeys, and his concubine was with him. And when they were near Jebus, the, the day was nearly over. And the servant said to his master, come now, let us turn aside to the city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. And his master said to him, we will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but will pass on to Giba. And he said to the, his young man, come, let us draw nearer to one of these places and spend the night in Giba or Ramah. So they passed on and went their way. And the sun was down on them near Geba, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night in Geba. And he went in and sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. And behold, an old man was coming from his work in the field at evening. This man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was sojourning, sojourning in Geba. The men of the place were Benjamites, and he lifted up his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old men said, where are you going and where do you come from? And he said, and he said to him, we are passing from Bethlehem in Judah. That should ring a bell. We are passing from Bethlehem in Judah to the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim from which I come. I went to Bethlehem in Judah and I'm going to the house of the Lord, but no one has taken me into his house. We have straw and feed for our donkeys with bread and wine for me and your, and your female servant and the young man with your servants. There's no lack of anything. And the old man said, peace be to you. I will care for all your wants. Only do not spend the night in the square. So he brought him into his house and gave the donkeys feed and they washed their feet and they ate and they drank. And as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. This story is going to be similar to the story that we do see with Lot in Genesis. There's some similarities. 
And they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. And the, the man, the master of the house went out to them and said to them, no, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come into my house, do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin daughters and his concubine. Descriptive, not prescriptive. Let us bring them out now. Violate them and do with them what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the, man, uh, at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. And her master rose up in the morning. And when he opened the doors of his house and went out to go on his way, there was his concubine lying at the door of his house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. She's, she's passed away. Then he put, well, then she's been murdered, really. Then he put her on the donkey. And the man rose up and went away to his home. And when he entered the house, he took a knife, taking hold of his concubine, and he divided her limb by limb into 12 pieces and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel and speak. And so Judges chapter 19 is horrific. It is a household divided. It is the epitome of injustice when there is no king and man is left with unrestraint in their heart toward one another. And Judges chapter 20 is a spiraling descent and a powerful reminder that the actions of one can have almost as though a match striking effect on the lives of others. In Judges chapter 20, it is the spiraling descent of now a nation at civil war, a nation fighting itself, not its common enemy. The story of what transpired with the Levite's wife is profoundly troubling, and it should trouble our hearts. The story continues to look at trouble, which arises when there is no king. In Christ, we're a body. Yet sadly, too, we can be given, uh, we can give our common singular enemy rest when we incorrectly fight one another. And the same can be said for Israel. Reading this story, we aren't going to be left with resolve, but we are never left without hope. Because nothing escapes God. And I want to remind you, the Bible does not end in Genesis chapter 20. Judge or ju Judges chapter 20, excuse me. Judges chapter 20 is not the end of the story of God working redemption for Israel or for humanity in Christ. In the mess that we create as humans, whether it's in Judges or present day, loved ones, God is working. If your story is not yet good, it is not yet done. God is still working and he will have the final say, even for the life of this precious concubine.
Judges chapter 20, verses 1 to 4. Then all the people of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, from north to south, including the land of Gilead. The congregation assembled as one man to the Lord present at Mizpah. And the chiefs of all the peoples of all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 men on foot that drew the sword. Now the people of Benjamin heard that the people of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. And the people of Israel said, tell us, how did this evil happen? And the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, I came to Gibba that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine to spend the night. A little pause here. Isn't it quite interesting that oftentimes when we retell a story, we cast ourselves in a different light than we should. The Levite here is being absolutely factual, but we should recognize that a half-truth, he's truthful, but a half-truth is still a whole lie. This is precisely what he did, but he does not include what he also could have done to protect her. And so to conclude, let's summarize the remaining story in Judges from John Golden Gay, which I encourage you to read later today. The army demands that the Benjamites surrender the guilty men who violated the Levite's wife. Um, and there's no collect connection between Judges 19 and 20, this Levite, with the other Levite that we were reading in the other chapters. It's not necessarily the same Levite. It's a different one, okay? Um, if they refuse to do so, they are associating themselves with the action and their share in the guild. But one wrong done to one person has not become the reason or has not become yet the reason for an all-out civil war. The men of Bigah, like Achan, uh, knew the beginning of Joshua, have behaved more in a way that Torah portrays the Canaanites as behaving and are thus deserving to lose their land. They desire to be tried like Canaanites as Achan was. And this is exactly what is going to transpire in Judges chapter 20. What about how the Torah permits or, or Torah limits, excuse me, its punishment to an eye for an eye and a life for a life? It's a poetic expression, like Jesus talking about cutting off your hand if it offends you, but it raises the question of whether this kind of in this kind of kind of punishment, the Israelites go way out of line. When the Benjamites decline to turn in the guilty men, surely God will support the other clans in imposing justice on them. And it certainly seems as if God is doing so. They go to the sanctuary to ask God, ask for God's guidance about how to undertake this battle. And God gives them guidance. So what is God doing in giving them guidance and not making things work out for them by following it? Did they not follow God's guidance enough with precision? Again, I'm just now recapping all that's going to happen in Judges 20. Instead, when they come to weep before God and ask again, why is God once more offering them guidance that leads to their defeat? And the story offers no answers, yet it offers us a strange comfort today in 2022 of portraying Israel as sometimes doing our best, believing the best, and standing on God's promises, yet sometimes we don't understand why things, don't, why things do turn out the way that they do. Yet in the story of the Levite's wife 
and Israel's spiraling war of civil war and conflict against one another, and in our lives today, even when we don't understand, God is still good, and God is still working all things for good, if we will allow him to work the full picture and the full story. And so sometimes this is the hard truth in Judges 19 and 20 that brings us to a place of humility before God, that postures us in a position to ask this question. In Judges 19 and 20, there is no king in Israel, but there is the king of kings. In our lives today, we always live under the king, the king of kings, who is Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, sometimes our obedience doesn't lead to the outcome we desire. And it is in this moment that we can take all the pain and the injustice that is true that we feel about this, and we can be at war with one another over it. Or we can trust that our king of kings is a good king. And though it didn't work out in the way that we desire, once again, he has a purpose and he has a plan that perhaps we do not see the full picture of. Each act of injustice is never outside of his gaze. And so there are some things that, yes, we are called to do and engage with our whole hearts. But even the things that we are called to and do and engage with his hearts, the warning from the Old Testament is in seeking justice. May we not act or prescriptively follow the way of the Levite against one another or the way Israel fights in a civil war. This is not how our God does what he needs to do. And in moments such as these, we can know that God will be faithful, but we can also understand that our faithfulness and our trust in him will be tested. So again, where in our lives do we behave as though there was no king? Perhaps where in your life did somebody behave unjustly towards you when there was no king? And may I say that whatever happened to you was not outside of the gaze of the king of kings. And he desires to minister love and grace and healing to continue layered wounding perhaps on your heart. Just because God did not directly intervene does not mean for one moment that anything that occurred was his desire or his heart. And so where in Canada are we living as though there are no kings? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to be honest. Yeah, we wish stories like Judges 19 and 20 weren't in the Bible but we also wish they weren't in the world today. Yet we want to understand, Jesus, what you said so profoundly is why do all of these evil things occur? Is it merely because of things that are out in culture? And Jesus said, no, you said they, the enemy is from within. It's our hearts that Genesis 3 talk about that are fallen. And so, Lord, we just posture our hearts in the midst of the of the your kingdom here but not yet fully father we we admit that we're homesick that we we are longing for a home that is not here for the for the for the injustice that we read about and that we see on a daily basis we pray holy spirit come 
And Father, I pray that you keep working in our hearts because Lord, we see, we see in the person of Jesus, we see for men and for women, what happens when others want to use them for their point, for their advantage. We have clear examples in the gospel, Jesus, of how you, the King of Kings, treated men and women in spaces of vulnerable postures and positions. And it is nothing like we are reading in Judges 19 to 20. And so, Father, forgive us. We're not Levites, but forgive us for Christ followers when we don't act in a way that honors and looks like our King. Father, we ask for forgiveness. And Father, would you continue to move as we say, if our stories are not fully redeemed, then you are still working in the mess of humanity. And so, Father, give us eyes to see where you are working, where the enemy's working, and how then you are calling us to work in contested space, how you're calling us to love one another. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the HeartStrong shop with all kinds of merch like hoodies and t-shirts and mugs to remind you of this journey of discipleship that you're on. You can log in to heartstrong.life forward slash login to access your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible bootcamp for kids. Let's become heartstrong disciples together.